No, you're good. Welcome to the Wilderness Outreach Mancast. My name is Pete, along with my brothers John and Bob. The Mancast is your weekly adventure into the wilds of masculine spirituality, where we will be hunting the meaning of manhood, tracking down the intersection of faith and science, uncovering true leadership, and searching for deep meaning in the history of God's created universe. So strap on your hiking boots and backpack, grab your compass and map, and let's get rolling. All right. Good evening. Good evening. Let's let's jump into evening prayer. Let's do it. God, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, as now, and will be forever. Amen. He is my comfort and my refuge. In him I put my trust. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my arms for battle, who prepares my hands for war. He is my love, my fortress. He is my stronghold, my savior, my shield, my place of refuge. He brings peoples under my rule. Lord, what is man that you care for him? Mortal man that you keep him in mind. Man who is merely a breath, whose life fades like a shadow. Lower your heavens and come down. Touch the mountains. Wreathe them in smoke. Flash your lightnings. Rout the foe. Shoot your arrows and put them to flight. Reach down from heaven and save me. Draw me out from the mighty waters, from the hands of the alien foes, whose mouths are filled with lies, whose hands are raised with perjury. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. He is my comfort and my refuge, and him I put my trust. Blessed, blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. To you, O God, will I sing a new song. I will play on the ten-stringed harp. To you who give kings their victory, who set David your servant free. You set him free from the evil sword. You rescued him from alien foes whose mouths were filled with lies, whose hands were raised in perjury. Let our sons then flourish like springs, grown tall and strong. Let our sons then flourish like saplings, grown tall and strong from their youth. Our daughters graceful as columns, adorned as though for a palace. Let our barns be filled to overflowing with crops of every kind. Our sheep increasing by thousands, myriads of sheep in our fields, our cattle heavy with young. No ruined wall, no exile, no sound of weeping in our streets. Happy the people with such blessings. Happy the people whose God is the Lord. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Now the victorious reign of our God has begun. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, the Lord God Almighty, who is and who was 
You have assumed your great power. You have begun your reign. The nations have raged in anger, but then came your day of wrath and the moment to judge the dead, the time to reward your servants, the prophets, and the holy ones who revere you, the great and the small alike. Now have salvation and power come, the reign of our God and the authority of his anointed one. For the accuser of our brothers is cast out, who night and day accused them before God. They defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Love for life did not deter them from death. So rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell therein. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Now the victorious reign of our God has begun. Submit to God and resist the devil, and he will take flight. Draw close to God, and he will draw close to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you backsliders. Be humbled in the sight of the Lord, and he will raise you on high. To you, to you, O Lord, I make my prayer for mercy. You, O Lord, I make my prayer for mercy. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. I make my prayer for mercy. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. To you, O Lord, I make my prayer for mercy. Whoever gives up his life for my sake in this world will find it again, for whoever in the next says the Lord. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel. For he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, as now, and will be forever. Amen. Whoever gives up his life for my sake in this world will find it again for forever in the next, says the Lord. In his mercy, God sends the Holy Spirit to shine on us so that our lives may radiate holiness and faith. Let us raise our voices in prayer and say, Lord, give life to your people whom Christ has redeemed. Lord, source, all, source of all holiness, draw bishops, priests, and deacons closer to Christ through, through the Eucharistic mystery. May they grow daily in the grace of their ordination. Teach Christ's faithful people to be devout and attentive at the table of his word and of his body. So that they may bring into their daily lives the grace they receive through faith in, the, through faith in sacrament. Grant, Lord, that we may see in each person the dignity of one redeemed by your son's blood. So that we may respect the freedom and the conscience of all. Teach us to restrain our greed for earthly goods. 
and to have concern for the needs of others. Be merciful to your faithful people whom you have called to yourself today. Grant them the gift of eternal happiness. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Lord, may everything we do begin with your inspiration, continue with your help, and reach perfection under your guidance. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. May the Lord bless us, protect us from all evil, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. 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 Thank you, brothers. Good to see you again. It's been a so we're we're into Lent. Here we are a year later, right? It's we're t- back into the time to enter the desert and deny ourselves and hopefully do that well. So it's uh yeah. So it's uh tonight we're going to talk about uh, uh, a writer that uh, that I find to be very instructive. Uh, it's Doctor Leonard Sachs. Doctor Leonard Sachs is a uh, medical doctor, psychiatrist, and also a PhD psychologist. His areas of expertise are child development and parenting. Dr. Sachs has written four well-researched books on gender parenting and uh, about uh, boys and girls and about how the secular culture has interfered in the proper formation and growth of, of our children. And, uh, so he started actually by writing a book uh, that was called uh, Gender Matters, I believe, was his first book. And he was basically pushing back on the, let's say, the woke government position that gender doesn't mean anything and gender can be fluid and, you know, boys and girls are the same or culture creates uh, gender and all that stuff. So he basically said, no, no, that's not what the science shows. So he dug deep into the science to kind of look at the difference between boys and girls in there. And after he had written that book, uh, he got, he started getting calls and emails from parents that were, uh, stating they had a problem in particular with one of their children. And it happened to be the boys that, that he got a lot of information. What's wrong with my boy, right? So he started looking into this and he found that parents who had boys tended to have more problems. And he was like, hmm, wonder what's, what's going on there. So he ended up doing a really good research uh, project. And then uh, the result of that was his book, Boys Adrift, The Five Factors Driving the Growing Epidemic of Unmotivated Boys and Underachieving Young Men. And uh, that's a that's a big title, but it's a great book. Uh, I think I believe now. I think he first published that in 2010 or 2011, possibly. So it's been a few years since he's done that, and then he's updated that at least once. And uh, so tonight we're going to talk about the, uh, uh, you know, what are these factors that are driving uh, this an unmotivated uh, boy problem, right? So it's, it's kind of almost become 
everybody's heard of the boy in the basement phenomenon now where the, the, you know, the, the 30 something kid that's never left home. He's never had his own job. He's just hanging out with mom and dad playing video games in the basement and seems to be not interested in doing much of anything. So this is kind of that classic, uh, uh, the failure to launch, you might call it. So tonight we're going to talk about that a little bit, and I'm going to bring up on the screen here, uh, for those of you who are watching can see this, the these five factors uh, briefly, let's see, uh, well, I didn't complete that com all the way, but the, the five factors are uh, the anti-male education system, ADHD drugs, video games, um, environmental toxins, and then the devaluation of manhood. So we're going to start looking into this and see exactly what uh, Dr. Sachs is talking about there. So uh, perhaps uh, uh, first off, we could start talking about the anti-male education system. What exactly does that mean? And how is, how is the education systems anti-male? Well, I think uh, I was, I was homeschooled through eighth grade, but I'm, I have two kids now. Interestingly, I have a boy and a girl and the girl's older. And uh, so it's kind of funny how I've observed this as a, as a child. Um, for me, I'm, I might've been special, but there was nothing they could have done to keep me entertained unless it was outside uh, doing dangerous stuff. That was fun, you know? And uh, like reading, writing, all that stuff got boring. Like I was good at it to a certain point. Like my mom did a really good job of uh, making it a not anti-male, but there was a point where it was like, okay, you need to sit down and work. And that was really hard for me. I've, I, I have a GED. I, uh, ended up going to a boy's ranch actually, where they also, uh, make you sit down and learn some stuff, but they, you go outside a good bit there. So it's a little bit better, but, uh, I think if I would have been in public school, it would have been way worse, way worse. Just from what I see with my kids now, like my daughter did wonderfully in kindergarten where she learned how to read and write and do math even in kindergarten, which is pretty impressive for a uh, five-year-old really. But uh, my son, who's he's in kindergarten now, and it's a totally different ball game. Yep. I got called from the school two times today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> because he just, uh, like I've talked to his teacher a few times and uh, he just really struggles with being still and and following directions in that environment that is created for people that are good at sitting still and um and just following directions you know it's, it's very i don't know john you can definitely articulate what i'm trying to say a lot a lot better yeah i mean uh, you're you're describing the, yeah. the perfect problem right now yeah with the education system and, and young boys bob anything you want to add to that uh, well yeah actually just uh so my oldest daughter she's in third grade she's like a homeschool hybrid so two days they do the curriculum 
at, a, at an old Catholic school that's been repurposed for this in three days, it's homeschool. Um, and so the balance last year was more about half and half boys and girls, but some of the girls moved away. So now there's like 12 boys and like four or five girls. And it's just a completely different experience for her because like, there's just all of that energy hmm. there and it's just harder for the teacher to kind of corral that. And when we think about co-education, that's really only thought of really in the high school level, at least in kind of the Catholic school system. Like there isn't, at least in our area, like you could go to um, the all boys Catholic, their central Catholic, which is similar to a St. Charles in Columbus for ninth through 12th. Um, and I think there's a girls Oakland Catholic, but you don't really have that option at the younger grades. It's just sort of like, yeah, we're all together and it's, just, it's fine. Instead of saying like, well, wait a minute, girls at five can do this, but really I think that's part E, which is jumping ahead that girls, that what they can do at five, it's really like maybe boys at six or six and a half, like they're not ready at the same time to do it, but we want this homogenized, like everybody at five should go to kindergarten. Like that's just what you do. Everybody should just fit into this mold instead of saying, well, wait a minute, should, when's, when's the right time to get into kindergarten? And um, you know, what kind of kindergarten, what is, are they offering a more play-based um, environment or is it like Sax says like kindergarten now is what first grade was 30 years ago. And so, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, the, the word kindergarten was really foreign to me when I was going into the first grade, I heard about that. It's like, there were some kids that went to kindergarten, but it's like, you know, I was like six years old when I entered into first grade. So that's when I first got into that education system. But, um, yeah, that, uh, so, the, so one of the, the, uh, so it's kind of interesting as listening to you guys talk, cause Pete, you came from a homeschool environment, which made it different for some reason. And then Bob, were you, did, were you in the, the, and so you're, Sorry. you're, you're, you're homeschooling your kids to an, to an extent as well. Right. Yeah. And it, yeah. So I was actually homeschooled third through eighth grade. And then I went to Catholic, so I went to Catholic grade school. Then I was pulled out for homeschooling. Then I went to Catholic high school. So it was kind of like half and half. And then, yeah, this is, for all intents and purposes, it, it really is a homeschool, but you kind of, the two days a week, you kind of have somewhat of a setting where you can do gym class and music class and some of the curriculum that things you couldn't do by yourself as well. But mm -hmm. it, it still is, yeah, more of that, a little bit more freedom. I mean, you have Monday and Wednesday kind of look like a school day, but the other mm -hmm. days you have some things to do, but you have the total freedom of how yeah. you want to do it. So. So, so, so anyway, what, you know, one of the things that, uh, so Sachs is looking at the structured education system. So he's not really looking at the, say this homeschool hybrid homeschool type of situation. Right. So it sort of sits outside of his analysis a little bit, but so he really uh, says that co-education is like not a good thing and it's not good for boys or girls. Right. But it's especially not good for boys and uh they they get distracted and uh and and they're they're, they're a different animal you know it's kind of like it's interesting hearing pete talk about uh elijah and how he can't sit still and it's like you know i mean that was my story growing up like i can remember sitting in the classroom and there was a squirrel out there in the tree man yeah i mean you, there's a squirrel <laughs> out there in the tree it's like, it's we gotta like, figure this out yeah <laughs> it's like yeah, and look, the teacher's screaming at me about reading the next paragraph, <laughs> and I'm saying, but there's a squirrel out there in the tree, you know? It's like, 
And uh, so, but it was, it was kind of like, you know, I'm in this classroom with boy, you know, half boys and half girls basically. But uh, so uh, the other, the other thing that he's talking about, and this is, you both kind of hit on this, I think the separation from nature, right. Yeah. Is, is going on there. And uh, uh, you know, what's that? So in a homeschool environment, you, you have a little more of that. So like one of our brothers, Dan Boyd, and he's, they've been homeschooling for a long time and they live on a, a small, like a gentleman's farm type place. They got several acres and those kids are out playing every minute. It's, it's amazing to watch them. It's just this organic play they got, they go outside, they throw the basketball, they run through the woods, they do all this stuff. So, um, they're getting that kind of, uh, you know, uh, a, uh, immersion in, in uh, nature, which is really helpful. One of the things Sachs uh, discovered, he said like over in the uh, Nordic countries, they're getting this and their kindergarten in the Nordic countries looks like kids running around outside. So they've kind of moved completely away from this whole problem of, you know, one of hit one of the other, like, Another thing he says is a problem with what makes it anti-male is this accelerated learning thing. Like, like it's amazing how girls can sit down at an early age and be, and be, and learn in a structured environment, but boys just can't do it. Right. And, uh, right. And he talks about then how that sort of just, then boys think I'm dumb. School's dumb. I'm not going to do this. And they're already checking out. And then yeah. when you're trying to lay that foundation early on and they're already like, nope, I'm not doing this. This yeah. doesn't fit with me. I'm going to have to find, find my success somewhere else. And so we just, yeah. we're setting them up for failure right at the start. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. So it's like, so then the, you know, the, the uh, removal of competition, right. Is that, I, I assume that's, what are you seeing in, on the, in the public schools there, Pete, are you seeing much competition where you're, kids are going are they i think that uh they structure things to be inclusive rewarding systems so it's like you you meet these very low standards and everybody gets a trophy there's nothing that's super highly competitive but uh they do have some good stuff um but i think that like Bob was saying, and like Lynn, like Dr. Sachs talks about, it's like they try to just, they have this cookie cutter mold. And like, for some reason, society, like the secular world preaches, go do what you want to do and be who you want to be, chop your stuff off and change into a woman if you feel like it. And, but you have to do this. You have to be this way from this age. You know what I mean? You have to fit into this mold. And here's a prize for, sitting down and closing your mouth and doing what you're supposed to. And mm. it's like, that's what they want to reward instead of having that competition. Mm. Yeah. And another thing that it also does, even just the education system in general is, and I kind of felt this after graduated college is like, you're around people just your own age for your like first 20 years of life. And then whether, or if you, if after high school, you get, you get a job or after college, like then you just go into life. And you're not used to interacting with the different generations, um, which is it was more of a normal setup. But you're in this artificial environment, like in school, you're like, I'm around seven year olds this year. Next year, I'm all around eight year olds and not this sort of communal aspect or people at the same level at different ages. Like 
people kind of rag on the one room schoolhouse, but it's sort of like the older kids could teach the younger kids. There's some a little bit more communal play versus we get really into these clicks and all these other issues because it's just like, nope, your world is like 14 year olds when you're 14. That's it. Like mm. that's not a great, great environment to, to always have. Yeah. Yep. So it's, uh, yeah. So, it, you know, the, the competition was still alive and well when I was going through school. So I can remember like in uh, grade school, uh, it seems like, you know, when I was in the third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, somewhere in there, all the boys started, we were, it seemed like every boy in that, in that, uh, grade school was, we were doing this, uh, the civil war reenactment, right? It was the Yankees against the rebels, but it was physical, right? I mean, you get knocked down, thrown down. It was like wrestling, fighting, uh, you know, and, and the spontaneous teams of, of, uh, you know, lots of competition going on, right? It was like a boy's playground, you know, snowball fights. Uh, there was all this stuff. There was a competition to see, like we had these swings, right? And the idea with the swings is you could, sw- who who could dive, who could jump the farthest out of the, out of the swing. So you get as, as far as you could get. And then at the, then at the apex of the moving forward, you dive out of the, out of the swing, you know, and one kid, uh, he ended up getting two broken arms. <laughs> he hit and broke both of his arms. He, That's rough. I think he broke the record, but he also broke both of his arms. But, uh, <laughs> but there was lots of, you know, there was lots of crazy competition that was going on that I'm sure doesn't exist now. Like I, like dodgeball was always one of my favorites too. And I heard now they call it honor ball or something. Right. And you, and it didn't even hurt when you get hit or whatever. Yeah, I don't even know if they play dodgeball anymore. Yeah, I think that's one that's kind of <laughs> was still around even when we were kids, but I think has has moved out of the uh, of the system because it's yeah not too it's too direct into competition and you know yeah. So uh, before we move out of the all, all male uh, the anti male education system, he talks Sachs talks a little bit about this whole idea of the structure of the classroom. And he makes some interesting comments in there about like a boy's classroom should be almost like chaotic. So a girl's classroom, you can imagine, okay, all the desks are going to be nice in nice rows, the way a typical classroom is. Okay. There's all these rows and there's like 12 chairs in a row and there's, you know, six rows and there's acoustical ceiling grids. Everything's pointing in the same direction. Everything is neat and ordered. And, and whereas a boy's classroom, he says, get rid of the desk, man. Let them come in and lounge and have a, like a big table. They can, so they can go in and kind of spread out and kind of find their own learning style, right? Like have, have uh, charts and blackboards and stuff. You can just write all over without all the, uh, the uh, the ultra o- order right which once again runs against the the male brain and the the male telos again and it's uh so yeah i know so, some schools have had success there's a guy that he's he talks about like using stand adjustable height desks in, in cubicles and stuff and he's talked about in school sometimes having adjustable height desks or some kind of like little fidget spinners so the kids can kind of like stand up and you're sort of like hitting something with your foot or just like the activity of having some sense of movement can be really helpful mm. to kind of focus some people they need like they're wired to need that kind of physical engagement mm. in the world with that versus it's just like nope we're all gonna sit here 
for this many hours. We're going to cut out more recess. So you might not have, you don't have gym every day. It's just sit and then walk to the next class and sit down. And then you do seven hours of that. And you wonder why people are, boys are jumping out of their skin. You know, something that, that I didn't mention, I meant to starting off on this. So the, the common thing that we're going to be talking about tonight, and this is where the, all these, uh, these anti-male, uh, factors for education actually attack the male brain at a particular location called the nucleus accumbens. And the co-education system, the separation from nature, the removal of competition and removal of boys books. We didn't say, you know, now boys, you know, boys like adventure books, battle books, all that kind of stuff. Right. And from what I understand, those are removed from public school now because they're violent. And, you know, it's like we can't have any of that. We have to all be reading Charlotte's Web, I think, used to be the thing they used to talk about. Uh, the whole accelerated learning thing, boys need to be like naturally out of the gate about two years behind girls, probably in terms of structured learning and in the classroom environment. So, uh, but these all are attacking in a sense, a place called the nucleus accumbens again, which the nucleus accumbens is, is the center of motivation in our brains. And yeah, when, and Vince is saying, Vince is right on cue here, of course, right. Coming out of Tennessee. So, so anyway, you got all these anti-male education systems and you got this boy in there. That's like, he's dying, right? He hates it. He's feels stupid. Nobody likes him. He's not getting anything that he needs. And, uh, so what's, what's a teacher to do, right? So, because the most important thing is, as far as the teacher's concerned is order and everybody's going to do what they're told. So this whole problem with ADHD drugs is like just came right. So, so, and, and all of a sudden these teachers are saying, we've got all these problem boys and we got to do something about it. So, and this is so this is so sad because what we've seen, you know, like with the whole COVID thing, we've seen this, uh, this, uh, uh, alliance spring up between woke government and our medical profession and the drug makers. And we're, we saw the same thing with ADHD drugs and boys. So, and teachers were basically saying he, your, your, your son can't sit still. He needs to sit still. So, so why don't you take him to this one doctor and see if you can do something about it? So that what, what happened and probably still is happening is, is the parents are taking the son to some doc who's saying, well, yeah, he can't sit still, but I got this drug for him, right? This ADHD drug, which makes him very calm. And all of a sudden he turns into almost like the perfect student. Problem is it's, basically masking all of his natural behaviors and as these ADHD dr- drugs again are are um, causing problems with the nucleus accumbens area of the brain again so it's yeah. masking him not allowing to grow but yeah he gets he gets along he's not a problem anymore right yeah it's funny I mean like it's so heavily sold that the the uh, kindergarten teacher, has said stuff about that to me before. And I was like, I'm not putting my kids on drugs. And thankfully my, uh, 
my kid's mom, I mean, like from the power of God is on the same page with that. And so, but I mean, like even in kindergarten, like that's absurd. Like he's five years old and we're going to put him on drugs because he doesn't want to sit still. Like it just, it blows my mind. It's funny. Right. It's just, it's all compliance is the number one compliance safety. That's our top goal. So we don't care how we get there. We don't care what the long-term effects of it. It's like, we need you to sit still and be orderly instead of saying, wait a minute, can we find something, you know, if, you know, we've talked before about this like diversity, equity and inclusion garbage that's going on, but it's like, we really were trying to make a quote unquote inclusive environment. Then we would say, wait, what about the people that learn through movement and these kind of things? Do we have a space for them? But that's not really what they're interested in. It's just, yep, everybody sit here. Doctors getting kickbacks from the pharmaceutical companies. And it's just, yeah. And people just don't know because you're like, well, the experts. Yeah. I think when he wrote this book, there was probably more trust in the experts. I would think now as much as there's still some that are always going to trust the expert, I would think at least more people have started to question, wait a minute, yep. does the medical system, are these experts actually here to help me or is it the money? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and a lot of them, I just think they're, they're deluded in their own thinking, right? It's, it's amazing. So yeah, you know, something else in, in the Sachs's book, he talks about that there's uh, one of the things they started seeing with boys who were put in, on these um, ADHD drugs. And I believe Ritalin was one of them. Um, Adderall, been, I think is one. Yeah. So, so, and, and there's a particular, makeup but they they found or Sachs found through studying the uh, the literature that it was causing boys to be stunted in their height and their growth i mean significant like 10% like they were 10% shorter than they should have been right so i mean it was this long term problem with these drugs were causing physical damage to these boys and not allowing them to grow physically and mature properly so, but, but anyway, the teachers and the doctors got an allegiance and it sounds like they still are, they're still using this technique to try to shut boys down and get them to, uh, be, uh, you know, be a manufactured little drone in the classroom. Right. Cause that's the most important thing is order and learn, learn what you're supposed to, when we say you're supposed to learn it. So, yeah. Right. I the think... teachers getting the pressure of like, you got to get through all this material this year. And so they just kind of probably put their hands up and just say, well, I know for this year, I'm only teaching Johnny this year. I'm not concerned about 10 years from now when he's stunted growth. I just need my classroom orderly for right, right. now. And, and probably in some of their defense too, they don't understand the depth of all these problems as well. Right. They, they, they don't, they don't understand the systemic problems. Cause I think a lot of people, once they understand what's really going on, they're a lot there. They don't want to do that. Right. They get yeah. it. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate. I, when I look back into my, uh, public education, period of time from you know roughly 1958 through 1970 or then i went to college and stuff but during that time of uh, grade school and middle school and and high school some of the my best teachers were actually women that got it Hmm. 
they understood me and helped me, right? Because they said, oh, this is the kid that won't shut up because there's a squirrel in the tree, right? So one of the teachers was terrible. She just wanted, she would, if, she, if there were ADHD drugs in, she would have had me like, you know, she would have had them like plugged into my veins, dragging them around all the time. But there was a lot of other women teachers that really understood and they had a compassion, right? It was really kind of good. But the men teachers, which in public education, we don't have enough of. Those were the guys, those were the teachers that really made me toe the line. And uh, I, I, I can remember uh, there was a, a guy that was an ex-Marine and he taught ge uh, geography seventh grade. And I was like in the middle, right? I was very average. We're, they had all these numbers, number systems, right? Seven, one, you're dumber as a, you're, you're as dumb as a rock. Seven ten, you're the the most brilliant person, and seven four was my level. I was just a little below average, taking this uh, this class, and and I can remember this first day of class, seventh grade. This guy walks in, and looks around, and everybody shuts up immediately, and he, and he looks around, and he says, "Do you know who you are?" Those people out there are saying you're seven four and you're stupid. He says, "But I know better. You are a you are bright." bunch of young men and women and you're going to show me because you're going to work your buns off for me right and but the guy had just a charisma about him and he just like brought me he taught me how to outline how to think how to structure my thinking and writing and everything in a way that nobody else did and he was just this drill sergeant type guy right so that would be another thing i think Sachs even talks about there's so many women and and public education there's not enough men to you know mentor and lead young men so so anyway the adhd drugs and then uh so what what does a young man do if you know he's in public education he can't move around he can't do anything right uh, yeah how you gonna how you gonna you know what 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 are you gonna turn to it's funny well, right when especially you know the parent can i speak as his parent as well like when the kids like actually we had i had eddie at church yesterday just myself at the noon mass for ash wednesday and he's like help and he's like screaming at the top of his lungs <laughs> and like i'm like trying to take him to the back light a candle or do stuff like he just doesn't want to sit still and the church is in that environment you know where you're trying to have that sense of reverence and so i can empathize with parents that they're like hey i'm tired from work I'm just going to give, like, I'm just going to let my son play Xbox. I'm just going to give him my phone. It's not the right thing to do, but similar to just saying, all right, in school, we need to calm him down, just give him some drugs. At home, it's like, well, I'm just tired. I don't want him destroying anything else. Go ahead and play the video games. And we just sort of, we pawn off. We do what's convenient instead of what's what's actually best. Mm. Yeah. And I, yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, when I, when I read this book, uh, this particular chapter or chapters that he devotes to video games. I think there's a bigger, broader um, uh, area that he's really talking about. And I would like to call it virtual reality. Yeah. I know you were touching on that a few weeks ago, I think in the, when we're talking about the five pillars, uh, like virtual reality, like starting with movies and. Yes. Yeah. So, so I think it kind of started with, uh, you know, the, 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 virtual reality thing where we, we become, uh, just kind of set back and allow entertainment to be delivered to us instead of, 
actively involved in it. Now I understand that some of the video games today, right? They're they are actually sort of action oriented because you're you're doing you're interacting with the game. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right, you're, doing, you're doing missions and there's yeah, it adjusts to what you're doing and it's like I don't know, they're like uh it's like the movie, but you're controlling the entire movie. They're pretty in depth. They're they're definitely uh a giant risk. I mean I think they're cool. I don't think that they're good, but I mean like I've I I grew up and I played video games, you know what I mean? And uh I don't I don't uh think that they're 100% evil, but I see the potential like I have a brother that has over you know i mean he was that failure to launch for a while man he's got like days uh logged on video games like it collects your time it tells you how much time you've spent playing and he has days of time that he's played video games and it's crazy but uh it's just something we got to be aware of but like bob was saying it's like what's really worse like feeding them drugs to chill them out or give them video games like it's pretty pretty risky either way yeah i think if there's a hierarchy there it's probably you know it's it's like the the, the devil's triangle or something right it's like well, here's <laughs> here's something really bad let's not do that and give him something three quarters of the way bad maybe or half bad right but uh yeah, yeah and you've got this whole environment working against you i remember one one author was talking about like so even if, let's say, you're homeschooling your kids or outside of the school system, it's like 50 years ago, there was kids on this. There was a lot more kids on the street. She was she was sent this one author. She's like, hey, I'm only I'm the only mom on the street that doesn't work. And like there's no other kids around for my kids. So you sort of um, run into these challenges where before you had more of a societal help, like, hey, the neighborhood kids are out, out playing basketball. Now everybody's like in their house playing video games herself. So like you're trying to encourage the right things and you don't have the societal support to do that. So I can see how it's just easy to kind of just throw up your hands and say, you know what? We can't like, that's the ideal. I know this, but I'm not even getting support or when with COVID everything shuts down. And then like, we're all just living virtual life for a few months. Like, and I'm sure, and I know and I've read articles, some parents just kind of cracked because they're sort of like everything I have that was to help support is gone. And it's just Zoom, it's Zoom meetings, the library's closed, they put tape over the parks and just all this nutty things that it's like, it's not only just identifying that these things are bad, but realizing we've also, I don't think it's actually, maybe it kind of goes into at the end of the devaluation of manhood, but just sort of our societal support to help kids grow up isn't there in the same sense. It's like, well, that kid's just playing on a phone. Like 20 years ago, he's out playing with me in the street, but now he's got his own thing. Even if I'm not playing video games, they are. And so then it's harder. The kids don't have as many people to play with and those challenges. I don't know, Peter, if that, that kind of resonates with you or your thoughts on. No, it's that. a bigger, I think it's a bigger challenge now. Like you're saying, certainly um, it's uh, like without those support systems for sure. But like, we got to get creative somehow because it's like so detrimental. Like my kids, um, my son's five and he's got an Xbox and a tablet in his room at his mom's house and there's nothing I can do about it. So like, that's what he does. You know what I mean? He 
gets off of his mom's back because he's playing a video game. And then she's like, why is he bad at school? Like asking me. And I'm like, how much screen time does he have? You know what I mean? Oh, that doesn't matter. Blah, blah, blah. I have other kids that I need to worry about. And so it's just like, but the, I mean, I had a light bulb moment today. Like, so I'm doing a project for one of my dad's friends on one of his trucks. I'm putting a clutch in one of those trucks and um, I'm doing it at my parents' house. So my kids are there with me <clears throat> and my son sees the truck and he's like, I want to work on that with you. It's like, okay, cool, man. <laughs> it's like right on. Cause I don't have, uh, I, I mean, we have uh, video games, but they don't, they play them for like 10 minutes, 15 minutes on Friday. So it's like pointless to have, but it's, you know, it's a, it's like a special reward. And, uh, that's been forfeited frequently recently, but, <laughs> um, so he's, he's sore about it, but, uh, so we, we go out there and we're working on this truck and he's just, I, I, uh, got out of my toolbox because I used to work on cars. So I have a bunch of tools. So I got out of my toolbox. I had a little tool tray for him and gave him some wrenches and a, uh, saw just some dangerous stuff. I was like, here you go. He's like, these are yours now. And he was like, these are mine. I was like, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, don't cut anything. You're not supposed to cut, like check with me first. And he was like, okay. So <laughs> he's like laying under this truck with me, like grabbing the ratchet and doing all this stuff. But just like, uh, like I didn't really want to do that job, you know, but being, I think that it's a big part for us to take that time out to be active with them and to, uh, even if it's not something that we see as fun, like he loved that. Like, I know that mm. he's, he's going to, he asked to work on it tomorrow already. And I was like, yep, we're not done. So we'll be there, dude. <laughs> but that's really <laughs> uplifting to think about that. Because yeah. That's basically there's analog stuff going on and he's finding that really interesting. Right. Yeah. Like, way better what than we would want. whatever else. Yeah. There's a, another brother that, um, uh, in our prayer group and he, his, son he was telling me some story about his son got a video game and his son's like 15 and uh and he's doing some good work with him too but uh, the son said hey dad i want to show you this new video game the way it works and he said okay so he goes and he says like so the, the young man kind of explains it to him and then after a while the father says hey son let's go out and take a walk and he says oh, okay so they ended up uh, a walk that the father and son took together ended up being two hours of doing all kinds of stuff together that had nothing to do with video games. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, he's got that kind of a similar situation. He's not necessarily completely denying his children, the use of some of those, but he's then off trying to offer a, a, you know, a really good alternative where they can do things together. Right. So it seems yeah. to be working a bit. Uh, Sachs kind of talks about, um, uh, doing different like like for instance i guess there's like let's say there's a video game that's like dirt bike let's get on dirt bikes and ride over the countryside right or whatever that dirt bike game would look like and he said as a father kind of think about well how do i i want to move it towards actually getting on a real dirt bike right 
So let's go do the dirt bike thing. Instead of pretending we're on a dirt bike in a video game, let's go play it on a dirt bike, right? Or something like that. So he's he talks about how trying to move it towards that direction of the analog, right? To try to get away from the video game and actually do the real thing. Yeah, right. Saying like, hey, this is this video game shows that you have an interest in this subject. Like, you know, what's even more interesting is actually doing that. I I've, I don't remember the exact quote, but I know like, you know, Tom Brady just retired again. And I think he stayed playing for so long because he was saying, like, there's something about being in the game, like not just being the one that's the spectator, the one competing. And I think that probably drove him into his 40s to continue to play football because he had that real experience and he didn't just he he knew that whether it's coaching or you know being in the tv talking about the game that might be fulfilling in some level but it's not to the same level of physically being in there and competing and so yeah just finding these ways of saying oh yeah you like this like let's actually yeah let's go do that here's a here's a wrench Here's a hike. Here's here's a tree. Yeah, here's a here's a bike. Maybe we can't go dirt biking. Let's make a ramp for the bike, regular bike on the street, or let's find a place that does this. Yeah, and just being willing to put more time in up front and seeing that that's going to help later on. Because yeah, it's just so easy to go to the default mode of oh, I'm tired. You know, let's just watch something versus saying no. Let's actually be intentional, and then this is going to we'll reap rewards from this later on. But it's 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 in that moment, you know, and I think it's kind of like part of you know we're doing this during Lent. It's like it's not just abstaining or fasting from the bad. It's then replacing it with something good. Right. Yeah. So it's like get rid of the video game and go do something. Don't just stare mm-hmm. at the wall or just watch TV instead. It's like get out and do the analog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or play a game of checkers on a board. Yeah. Right. Do a real board game. Uh, and uh, yeah teach your kids how to play chess or checkers and how or to get cook, away whatever that. anything yeah so uh again this the, the video games and kind of wrapping that concept up uh what's going on in a video game is there's that there's that do loop in there in the in the brain uh, for instance, a few few weeks ago, we talked about Simon Sinek and the Neolithic man and, and these natural hormones like cortisol, endorphin, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, that in, in the, the natural Neolithic human being struggling to survive in nature these all these hormones are sort of virtuously working right so they're 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 helping to wire our nervous system our muscle system and everything in a virtuous way so that we're we're really built for uh optimum uh engagement with the environment to survive you might say right and that the video game what's interesting about that is it tweaks all those different hormones without the body actually being engaged. And again, the, the result of that is it's sort of attacking or flatlining the nucleus accumbens. So you're getting this, this pouring, let's say like uh, dopamine, right? That's the attaboy. So like when you're, you're doing this video game and all of a sudden you, you made you know, a particular level and there's a little attaboy, a shot of dopamine comes into the brain but all you really did was did something on a screen with your thumbs or whatever that yeah. looks like. Right. So there wasn't actually any physical involvement in that. And that's the way there should have been for that dose of dopamine to come into your body. 
Uh, Sachs talks about how there were some, whether this game's even around anymore, but Madden NFL was some kind of video game that was around for a while. And he said these, these young men would be playing the Madden NFL game and they, they really were good at this game. Right. And he, and if they would go outside and try to catch a football, they actually thought their bodies could move to do the things that the characters in the video game (laughs) could do. And so they would try to like dive way up in the air, you know, and they just fall on their face. Right. And and they were humiliated because their body actually couldn't do it. And they were like really bummed out about it. Huh? You know, so it's like, but they didn't get that connection. No, I can't actually do that. I'm only doing that on in this virtual reality. I'm not doing it in real life, but their, their brain was fooling them. Right. So it's uh, so again, then the, the nucleus of Cummins is a, is sort of at the source of that. So these too many video games causes a lack of, of interest in doing a lot of other things because you're getting all those hormones shoved into your body, like free of charge almost, right? Don't have to pay for it. You don't have to do the physical thing. It's almost like a drug again. And it's, it's depleting the, the nucleus accumbens so that the, the area of motivation is just not growing in these young men. Yeah, now we have esports leagues and stuff where it's, you know, there's colleges have not just football teams, but, you know, video game teams. And it's just, it's, it's crazy. So, but I know we want to jump on to the, on our next one, environmental toxins. Yeah, got, got any experience in that realm? I know that my kids have, like, my one son has a, a gluten allergy. And we think also like we're limited to dairy, like the rashes. And it's like, Hey, we're just raised being raised in the nineties. It's like, Hey, we had huggies and all the, all the processed food and food dyes. And now it's like, Oh, we're seeing kids now with a lot more issues. And, you know, like tons of our friends, it's like, Oh, this person's gluten-free, they're dairy free. And so um, I think that, you know, what, what we have consumed as, as adults and then what our kids are consuming, it's just shown that there's just, you know, you can see that there's a lot um, more dietary changes and that's just one aspect of this. Cause I know he gets big into like bottled water is, is it, you know, the issues with that and the chemicals from there and kind of how that relates to this, but just, just starting with food, you've got that. Then I think he goes into all the, the, pet, the pesticides and the chemicals. And um, I know my wife struggles with that cause she grew up in Westerville near like it was farms for a while till it became more developed. And it's like, Hey, what were they spraying there? Like she's not like, Hey, that's messed with my body. So it's just, there's so many things out there that have hardened. Well, we just have, uh, you know, closer to me, but in Ohio with a train spill, I mean, that's, that's a huge environmental toxin that is affecting that area. Right. Right. I mean, all the, the, uh, fertilizers and the, um, the, uh, insecticides, yeah. Say those are the two big ones being spread on farms everywhere, and then the rain comes and it's and it's uh, draining off into the Scioto River, which is feeding the city of Columbus, Westerville, and everything else. The Alum Creek Dam, that whole area is getting this these uh, toxins into the water system, and they're not all getting filtered out, right? Right. And uh, and the what's interesting about those particular like. Uh, insecticides and fertilizers they're actually they mimic uh estrogens they're they're like 
mimicking estrogen. So the, the, they have a different problem. They have a different result on, on boys and girls, men and women. Right. And this is one of the problems when they've, they've noticed that the, there's fish. Now they're starting to see male fish are starting to grow uh, female type organs because they're being immersed in these estrogens that are in the natural environment all the time. Mm. And, uh, yeah. So what, one of the things that Sachs started, you, you, you mentioned the bottled water because that's again, like a lot of these, uh, these plastics are like estrogens. They, they mimic estrogens again. And so he did that study, I think it was down in Puerto Rico where, there, there was these really, they, they were w looking at this middle school kids and what they were finding is that the girls were becoming, they were uh, physically becoming much more mature, much faster than they'd ever seen them and d completely developing, say, sexually and everything at, at middle school age that used to have been, say, an 18 year old woman. Now they were seeing this kind of physical development at the age of uh, 14. And then the op on the opposite side, they were seeing the young men were not developing at all. They were thin and almost, you know, waif-like and they weren't, you know, they weren't, they weren't growing into normal young men. And they really zeroed in on that and found that they, there was all this water being drunk that was coming out of these plastic bottles. And that's where they really pinpointed it. So it was, it was all these, uh, Soy products that were used to make uh, bottled, you know, the the bottles that the water was in, and uh, so yeah, it was it was pretty, uh, it was pretty uh, uh, a t a tough thing to see, right? And so and so we're seeing that as well uh, with the um, you know the the uh, all the all the stuff on the foods and everything. So if you look at what compared to boys 20 and 30 years ago, we're seeing a, um, a delay on the, in the onset of puberty by two or more years now. So we're seeing boys being, uh, stunted in their maturity and their growth. We're seeing a decrease in bone density evidenced by a 350 to 450% increase in bone fractures of young men, say middle school to high school, their, their bones just aren't developing properly because of these environmental toxins. Uh, sperm counts and motility have been decreasing measurably since the 1970s. You know, 30% of men under the age of 30 report having erectile dysfunction. That's hard to believe. I mean, in a generation, in my generation, it's gone to that, right? That never was, that was not even a phenomenon. And then this, then turns back into an increase in ADHD, which then goes back to, well, we got to give him drugs, right? So we're going to give him uh, ADHD drugs. And it's like, it's just this. All these drugs cause this problem. So now we have a new drug to counteract all the other drugs. Yeah. And then it's just like, and then, yeah, it's just, they all kind of interplay and it's, uh, it is frustrating to be like, wow, it's just all yeah. the deck is stacked, but no, yeah, trying to understand like, all right, we have to be more intentional, like you have to yeah. be aware of these things. And right. And, you know, start in trying to, trying to eat food that's, you know, I mean, there is something good about that. Uh, right. you know, eating more natural, you know, right. getting food, food from places yeah. that aren't using the toxins, right. It's really important, especially for young people. 
you know, that's because they're so young that their bodies are really receptive to that. You know, like uh, one thing that uh, like using like uh, bug spray, you know, like any like uh, mosquito and tick repellent. Don't do it, man. That's going right, right into a child's body and causing problems. So it's it's like anything like that. You can avoid that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Stay away from that stuff. Right. Especially for young men. So it's uh, so it gets us down to the last and final area that uh, Sachs talks about the devaluation of manhood. And yeah, so, it's just everywhere. I mean, you just see it. You know, when you see it on TV, it's just you don't see the strong male figure. Um, it's just yeah, there's not. We don't really we don't value that. It's just, and this, he wrote this before it even became a thing, but now devaluation of manhood's gone down to this, you know, toxic masculinity and the patriarchy's bad. And it's just sort of like, this is all, all these ills are caused by men and, you know, they can't control themselves and it's just terrible. We should have more women running things and everything to blame in society is because of man. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the patriarchy did it to us, right? Yeah. So he he's uh he also he it's actually the way even though the chapter's called the devaluation of manhood I think it's a little wider and broader than he than that title would indicate. Cuz I I think in in there he makes a quote he he says something that um in history, we know that all the enduring cultures, the cultures that survive generation to generation to generation, say be, before the, the modern, postmodern times, uh, were structured in such a way that uh, men raised the boys and the women raised the girls. And basically taught them, the men taught the young boys how to be men and the women taught the young girls how to be women. And it was obviously working in a complementary way, right? So that there was a success of their societies that worked well. Did he, is this, is it this book where he talks about how we don't have a, uh, no initiation practice mm. into manhood? Does he talk about that in this? Yeah. I think it, that's a big it part could of this be, in the, but that would be part of it, right? Yeah. So was there something in particular you were thinking about that? Like um, a, not really just every, like almost every other major culture in the world, except for America has a initiation process to bring men, to bring boys into manhood, you know, like it's just not something we, we look at. Right. John Eldridge says that whole, with the way of the wild at heart about those different stages and people trying to sort of recreate that or say like, Hey, at a certain age, you know, give this or like, all right, the keys at 16 or like trying to put these in because yeah, the, the, the norm, it's just sort of, Oh, this, okay. Things just sort of happen and you just sort of, and then there's all those questions of like, am I a man? What does it mean to be a man? I don't, I don't know. And like, okay, I'm that age, but yeah, we've got, you know, we have some 22 year olds that are in the military or just got married and we got 33 year olds living at home with mom and dad. So there's this whole like, trying to figure out yeah and like like you're saying peter we don't have that something clear before where i think 
you know, you've seen like the Native Americans and it's like, hey, the, the brave had to go out and like hunt and like come back with this and survive a certain amount of days. Then he comes back into the tribe and it's like, you've done this hard thing. Like you're no longer a boy or like you are now with the men. Mm. Um, and we don't, for the bar mitzvah in the Jewish culture, it's like, that's why some people talk about, that's why Jesus is like lost in the temple. Cause like he's 12 and like, was he Joseph? I thought, Oh, is he still a boy? Is he with Mary? And Mary thought, Oh no, now he's, he, is he with Joseph now? He's at that cutoff age. So yeah, it's sort of like, how do we, how do we try to take the aspect of that and mm. bring something of that back knowing that we're not going to have a full societal support, but what can we do on that local level to, to kind of support that? Yeah. I think we had, it's, it's kind of like building it from the ground up again. Right. That's just like these, these, like what we're doing. You know, the, our brotherhood, I mean, talking about it, getting, getting the word out there and then living it and, and, uh, living it in groups of, uh, of men and then, uh, cultures within our church, especially, you know, that, uh, people banding together and starting to live in a more natural way, a more complimentary way between men and women, you know, a more scientific way that we understand that man and woman, he made them. You know, that, uh, so yeah. I like Peter's moment of giving is even if it wasn't necessarily intentional, but you're like, here's your tools. Like you're at this age where like, you can start to get some tools. Yeah. Like, that is, that is a, a small transition saying like, no, I trust you a bit. Like you're, you're, you're going to get to start to use real tools. It's not just, well, that's an initiation a, right there, right? isn't it? Yeah. It's like yeah. some, here's some rope. You're either going to, hang yourself or use it for good use so we'll but see what happens the, the key there is that you were working right so the, right. the sun was following your so you were getting into this thing and your focus on that changing dad's clutch in his car right it's kind of an interesting study in itself because your son was sensing all of that it's like I want to go there where dad's going, right? With these tools. And so the whole thing was really natural and organic. And then you, by you presenting him those tools, I think that was a type of, yes, you're, you're moving into manhood now, right? So here's some of your stuff that you're going to need. And that's pretty cool. That's right, man. Yeah. But uh, also like, I think another aspect of this, I don't know if, Dr. Sachs talks about it as much, but like there's so many fatherless kids that like, and like my kids aren't fatherless, but I know I'm not, I was not in high regard with their mother for a while. And they knew that from her, you know what I mean? So that devaluation of being a man and like what a man is, is like that portrayal of the single mom on the dad that did just leave, you know what I mean? Or never came back around or whatever however that situation played out, like, it's like, what is a man? And then, you know, my mom didn't value that. So like, who cares? I'll just do whatever I want. Hmm. I think that plays into a big part of it too. Like there's no, there was no leadership. There was nobody to hand them tools. Yeah, that's a good point. As, as society, we sort of just like, Oh, we don't really need this. We don't have any good examples of it. So we must not need it anymore. And, Oh, that guy's doing it. That doesn't really matter. Everybody gets by without that. Like I didn't, I didn't have a dad. Like just people like, Oh, my dad was absent. He wasn't, or he wasn't there. And Oh, well I made it. So they're fine. Like we don't need men. Men are 
where they say like it's like oh we've evolved past that we don't need strong father figures we've figured this things out and we've talked before about how all of what we've had as society was these external things were built by men and as we see certain things crumble in a sense like literally we're like oh yeah if you don't have enough men people standing up supporting this like it is going to collapse uh and you're kind of living off the success of the past and not realizing like if we don't keep putting in building we're not going to have like we can't live off the past generosity forever that eventually crumbles we have to be intentional and move forward right clean up the mess we've made and and keep rebuilding right that's right i think that's the hardest part about it, is being intentional about it because mm. it's like we all fall into this trap of what do i got to do what do i got to get done instead of thinking about what does elijah need what does amelia need what's going to benefit them to set them up so we're come to the close of another man cast and uh, we just talked about uh, Dr. Leonard Sachs and the five factors in the modern culture that's uh, derailing our young men. And uh, so while I'm talking about what's coming up here in the near term, uh, Bob, if you could look up a nice prayer for us to close out with. Yes. But uh, so coming up here soon, uh, Wilderness Outreach is going to have a, um, a, uh, well, tomorrow, tomorrow, well, this Saturday, we're going to have the Columbus Men's Ministry uh, annual conference. So that's going to be really great. Our bishop's going to speak to us, and there'll be lots of men there. The wilderness outreach uh, part of the uh, the conference is going to be like the most dynamic. We'll have the crosscut saws going, and we're going to bring some kettlebells this year and a pull-up bar and going to be doing man tests and all kinds of stuff there. So any of you men want to come in and check out to see how tough you are, please show up at the, uh, the men's conference. And uh, yeah, we're kind of like the outliers there and the guys. That, so we're the guys that are still saying, Hey, there's a squirrel on the tree up there. Right. So let's, uh, let, let's get, let's get after it. So uh, that's going on this weekend. And then next uh, weekend after the March fourth uh, weekend, we're going to be at Damascus youth camp uh, with all of our chainsaws and, uh, and splitters and we're going to camp out and cut up a bunch of firewood and split it for the camps for this coming summer the weekend after that which is march the 10th uh weekend we're going to be down in tar hollow with our cross cut saws again cleaning those trails up so we can do the carry the cross which is is right on the heels there on on uh, saturday april 8th on Holy Saturday, we're going to do our 12-mile hike with the cross, and there'll probably be 100 guys there. And uh, maybe we can get Father Han and our bishop to come out and at least do some morning prayer with us. That'd be great. And uh, and then the 14th of uh, April, the next weekend after Carry the Cross, I think it's, uh, yeah, it would be the 14th through the 16th. We're going to do a father and son's camp out in Tar Hollow again. And then coming up in May, we're going to go out to the Rogue River, and we're going to raft down the rogue river and work on the rogue river trails that's going to be a 10 day adventure into the cascades on the rogue river in oregon flying into medford oregon any men out there that want to join us on that uh, yeah just go to the website and you can see under the events you can see what's coming up 
And at the end of the summer, we're going to be doing a uh, expedition into the Sierra Nevada. And that'll be a backpack in journey, which will be a, a good one up around uh, Yosemite, up north in Northern California there. So uh, uh, thanks for tuning in, folks. And uh, Bob, if you close us out with a prayer, that would be great, brother. Yes, I will. This is a, a prayer to St. Joseph, um, the model of all who labor. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glorious St. Joseph, model of all who are destined to labor, obtain for me the grace to work in the spirit of penance and expiation of my manifold sins, to do my work conscientiously, putting my creed of duty above my inclinations, to work in gratitude and joy, considering it an honor to develop by work the gifts we have received from God, to work orderly, peacefully, and patiently, never faltering before tedious and difficulties, most of all to work with purity of intention and detachment from self, always remembering death and the account I will have to give of time lost, talents unused, good not done, and vain complacency and success so baneful to the work of God. All for Jesus, all for Mary, all in imitation of you, O good St. Joseph. Such will be my motto in life and in death. Amen. Amen. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.